Good morning. I, um, I was just over in the kids' church teaching them, and we had a great time over there. It's, it's amazing to see what happens when it's, that sign goes up, you know, kids ages 4 to 12 go to kids' church, and it's just like this mass exodus leaves, right? It's exciting, though. Um, but in doing that, you know, we, we have some rules that we go over in our kids' church, and one of them is to be safe, be respectful, and be responsible. Um, so if you need to use the restroom, make sure you raise your hand. I'll let you, you know, say hold it for five minutes, and then you, you know, ask again, and then we'll see if you need to go, okay? Yes, Matt, put your hand down, all right? <laughs> well, James chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, and we're going to look at this passage. Um, I'm going to read it for us this morning. We're going to look at the first 10 verses this morning, and, um, and then after that, I'll pray, and we'll dive right in. So James chapter 4, James writes, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot attain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, as we um, look at these ten verses here, Lord, may our eyes, ears, and hearts be open to what you have given us for today. Uh, It's easy with the distractions of the world around us, what's going on, to to lose sight of this important passage you have laid out for us. And so, God, I ask that we will be honest with the passage that is before us in each and individual life this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Everyday faith. That's what we've been studying here, and here in chapter 4, there's going to be a few um, main points and subpoints. and so if you're taking notes, I hope this will be pretty straightforward for you. But um, the first thing I want us to look at this morning is that we have everyday illusions. Let's look at verse 1 real quick. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you? You know, what are these passions that are at war within you? Um, Passions for stuff, passions for pleasure, passions for fulfillment. You want something so badly that there is an internal battle going on in you. Eventually, that internal battle becomes an external action. And so I want to be clear and upfront first and foremost that as we talk about these passions, these fulfillments, 
Um, can passions be good? Yes or no? Yes, all right. Um, is fulfillment good? Yep, if it's in the right things, right? And so this morning, as we look at these, um, these passions and these fulfillments that James is bringing out, we need to understand that this, he is talking about in context here, the things of the world, all right? The things that draw us away from God and to these things, these desires, and these passions. Um, so that will be the common thread throughout this morning. So the first thing I want us to see is this fulfillment. What is this? This illusion in fulfillment. There's an illusion going on. We think we have to have it. We need it. We can't live without it. We might think, I will be filled if or with this or that. I used to work with a guy. Um, his name was Chris, and uh, he used to be in car sales. Um, and he, he would tell me stories of some of the people that would come into the shop um, to buy a car. And um, he, he was telling me that they would put down anything as a down payment. He said he's taken wedding bands from people as a down payment, even their pet pig as a down payment. Like, I, I don't know how that happened or why they even la- I honestly feel like they were like, hey, this will be a great story to tell one day. We took a pig for a down payment for a car, right? But they'll take whatever. But this is what stood out to me. I remember him saying these, that these people felt they had to have it. And whatever they could do to get it, they would do it. They were trying to be fulfilled in the stuff that was around them. This desire and internal war is about fulfillment. It's about trying to fulfill our lives with something other than God. Now, yes, these things we desire may be more tangible than unicorns, but it's still an illusion of fulfillment. When we try to replace God with stuff, not only is it an illusion of fulfillment, it's also an illusion of relationships. Let's look at verse 2. You desire and do not have, so you murder. Okay, it can start so innocently. You think you're seeking something that might make you happy, something that will bring a smile to your face, but as your passions begin to grow, you begin to think, I have to have this. I must do whatever it takes to get this. I need this. So what happens is your internal battle turns into an external action. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Think back the last time you may have had a fight with your spouse or a roommate. And uh, what was it over? Was it over free time, your money, your space. Just recently, our company that I work for, um, I think most of you know this, I have a full-time job um, outside of the church, and I'm a designer for a cabinet shop, and, and so our company, we hired someone just recently, and um, things weren't working out. We ended up letting him go, and a few weeks after we let him go, we saw his name on the news. He was on the news for stabbing his girlfriend. Yeah, it, it, it was unbelievable. I mean, and then I actually started looking up and saying, okay, how often does this happen? And it's un- 
unbelievable how often this happens. But what is going on here? What is this, this action that he is carrying out? Well, he's not being fulfilled in his, what he wants. And so what does he do? He takes action in what he thinks he needs to do to get what he wants. Those desires and passions and fulfillment that he wanted ended up in actions that hurt others. Um, I did a preliminary move yesterday, and, um, and so by the way, the 26th, we're doing the official move, calendar, write it down. All right, moving on. So uh, I went to U-Haul and I rented a truck, um, and at U-Haul, I don't know if any of you know the backstory of the owners and the family and just the craziness that has gone on with U-Haul um, in the past years, but basically the story involves suicide, assassinations of brothers trying to kill each other and ended up killing one of the spouse's wives, lawsuits, fraud, and of course billions of dollars. But all this stuff was happening, these feuds were happening because they wanted something to be fulfilled with the money, the prestige of owning U-Haul. Well, let's look at the last part of verse 2. It says, you do not have because you do not ask. Now, all of these desires for fulfillment, and James says you don't have it because you've never asked. Well, all of a sudden we have this illusion of how God acts. In verse 3, it says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. See, you can ask for things to God, but did you know you can ask wrongly? Right here, it says, for your passions. Um, on, uh, I had Kaya with me. We were driving home um, one day, and um, as many of you know, Kelly's been not doing well. Some inner ear issues is causing dizziness and um, like even the point of like feeling like she might faint. So she's just not been doing well with her health right now. Um, appreciate prayers on that, but... We were heading home, Kai and I were on our way home, and uh, I was like, hey, let's stop and get Kelly something. And she's like, can we get her candy? <laughs> you know, she starts like listing all these things. I'm like, no, no, okay, I'm trying to help her understand. Let's think of others, let's, be, let's consider others right now, not ourselves. So she's like, popsicles? <laughs> I'm not winning this battle, am I? <laughs> you know, we just want our own passions fulfilled sometimes, instead of acknowledging that Jesus is more than enough. It's easy to start getting that, following that path of, oh, what's out there? What's out there? What can I have for myself? And we start thinking that God, if we just ask him, hey, God, I need this or I want this, that he will just give it to us. We, it's an illusion of, of how God acts. We think he will respond according to our desires instead of his well, we also have the illusion of who we think we are. In verse 4, you adulterous people. You see, James clears it up for us. He says, you adulterous people. Why would he choose that word adulterous? Strong language. Well, God is everything you need, but you keep looking some other places for fulfillment. You ask the one who loves you to give you something else to replace him. And it, and it continues there. It says, 
Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? It's not us looking at God and saying, you're my enemy. No. It is God looking at us and saying, you're my enemy. That's a strong phrase. This should make us stop and ask, God, am I trying to fulfill my life with things of the world? Am, am I so in love with the world that I have become your enemy? In John 17, verse 14 through 19, John writes, Jesus saying, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. We try, at times, to think that we can have it both ways. That we can have God and the things of the world. That we can replace God with the things of the world, though we may not consciously think that, but sometimes that is what is going on in our lives when we start desiring and fulfilling our lusts and our passions and replacing God. And he calls us adulterous people. Verse six, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble God gives more grace. Maybe you have been pursuing the things of the world. Your focus is off. Well, there's good news. God is gracious. He is the thing. He is the thing, though, you must humble yourself. We must humble ourselves before God. Be quick to realize where your heart's desires are. Be humble in acknowledging that God is in control and he knows what's best for you. Admit that he's king, not yourself. Stop making excuses for why you do this or that or, or why you desire this or that. Stop trying to convince the all-knowing God of something different than the truth he already knows all about in your heart. As we move to this next section, 10 everyday commands, 5, 4, 1. If you're good at math, 5 plus 4 plus 1 equals 10. It's broken up. The next few verses list a lot of stuff, 10 things. And it's broken up in, this, in categories of 5, 4 things, and then 1 thing. So, 
All of these things, though, are calling for immediate response. So first, five things that demand action. Okay, these are five things that demand action. In verse 7, it says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Here's the first one. Submit. Submit to God. Now, submitting is not the same thing as obedience. Instead, it is the surrender of one's will which leads to obedience. Submit to God. Remember, this is demanding action. And so, and so when we look back at the first six verses, as James is writing about worldliness and our passions for worldly things and replacement and finding fulfillment in things besides God, he's saying, okay, those things that are in our hearts and in our lives, well, here's the first thing. Submit to God. It's a surrender of your will. The second thing, verse 7, the second part there, says, resist the devil. Resist the devil. Stop resisting God's will. Stop pursuing the pleasures in the world. Resist the devil. You see, we don't have the power to turn the devil away from us. I mean, look at Job. If Job had that power, right? He would have said, oh, sorry, Satan, not today. <laughs> Go away. But here's the thing. God does tell us to resist the devil. And he commands us to resist him, but this is the great promise. God promises that the devil will leave. He will. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The next thing that we are to do we are demanded to do in action is to draw near to God. In verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I, I think of the prodigal son. I'm sure most of us, if not all of us, know the story of the prodigal son. How the son wanted to pursue the worldly passions and desires. He wanted to leave. He wanted his inheritance Basically saying, Father, you're dead to me. Give me what is mine so I can have it. He leaves. I mean, this is a beautiful picture of us. And the Father is a beautiful picture of our Heavenly Father. And we see that after the, the, the Son has lived out and has spent all he has on all the things that he thinks will bring fulfillment, which doesn't, he ends up in the pigsty with nothing, with a realization that my father's servants have it better than I do. I, I will go back and be a servant for my father. And we see this beautiful picture as the son's coming. The father is looking for him with open arms, with love saying, come home. I love you. Come home. My arms are open. I'm jealous for you, my son. I want you. I, it's so beautiful to see how our Father has done that for us, for you and for me. His arms are open. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. 
Then he says, cleanse your hands. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. So cleanse your hands. This is in reference to our actions. I mean, even looking back at the beginning, he's talking about quarrels. He's talking about fights among us. Murder. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. I mean, your sinner, you sinners, that's a strong term actually showing the extent of their involvement in worldly attitudes and actions. And, and so these hands, cleansing your hands is, is not just the mental process and, and the heart process, but actually what happens is as we begin to fulfill our lives, the illusion of fulfilling our lives with the stuff of the world and, and, and we have to have it and we're replacing God, all of a sudden what's happening now is we're like, all right, I have to have it and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it. And, and it might be lying to people. It might be stealing. But, but all of a sudden we're using our hands to get that fulfillment in our lives. He says, cleanse your hands. And then he says, purify your hearts. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Well, this is, pure, this is pure, um, purity of thoughts and motives, is what this is. Purifying your thoughts and motives. Your desire to pursue pleasure and fulfillment from the world will result in sins of the heart and the hand. And he says you double-minded. And here in context, this, this phrase about double-minded is, is attempting to love the pleasures of the world and God at the same time. You simply can't do this. You can't love God and think you're buddy-buddy with God and then come over here and say, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna love the things of the world and f- have fulfillment in those things. He says, purify your hearts, your thoughts, and your motives. So those are five things that are demanding action. These are things we need to be doing, and it's immediate. Now there's four things that show us how to repent. Um, This repenting process, it's interesting. I I feel like people do it in different ways, and and, um, they may think that... um, and their process of being repentant is a certain path. Well, I want us to look at this, and we're going to look at these four things that actually show us how to repent of trying to be fulfilled with the things of the world. And he says in verse 9, be wretched. Be wretched. It, this is to grieve, um, to be miserable. And this is a realization that the worldly things we pursue are worthless. Repent in misery. I feel like there is that, I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but where you get that quiet time with God. And you begin to ask God, God, show me in my life of things I need to repent of. That's a healthy thing to do, right? And as you begin to stop and in the moment of quietness and you begin to think of all these things and God is bringing these things to your heart and to your mind, 
Have you ever gotten to that point where you were wretched? You felt miserable? I mean, even to the point of tears? Be wretched, he says. Mourn, he says. And then he says, weep. This is, this is crying out. Let me say one thing about mourning real quick. This mourning carries out the idea that you're so broken over the worldly passions that you can't contain it. Um, I was at the mall, of, I don't know, it was like a week ago. All the weeks kind of jumble up now. But I, I was at the mall, and we were, I was with Kaya and Kelly, and, um, and we saw this train in the mall. It's at the South Town. I don't know if any of you have seen it before. But we just decided, hey, why not? Kaya, you and I, let's go on a train ride. It takes you around the mall. And, and so we hopped in. It was just the two of us in this train, and we started driving around, going around. And it was, it was fun. I was, it was just, she was like looking out this window and looking out the other window and jumping from side to side. And all of a sudden, towards the end of it, we were like coming around, kind of making this last loop. She just stops, and she looks at me. And she just lunges at me and gives me this huge hug. Like she couldn't contain, she didn't even have words to say, but she was so grateful for that moment. And it was this, this like, I have to do something. And I, and I know that that wasn't a, an example of mourning, but it was an example of something where we need to be to that point where it's like, all I can do is mourn right now because I'm broken over my sin. That's all I can do. And it just wells up and expresses in that way. And weeping, crying out, crying out to God for forgiveness. This is all you can do. This is the natural flow of your emotions at this point, to weep. I think it's this process of understanding how God sees our sin. And that's when, when we get to that point, these things start happening. The last thing in the last part of verse 9, he says, Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. It's this changing process. Your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. This is not the constant life of the Christian that we are to push off laughter and joy, right? No, that is important in the Christian life. Um, but this is it's not a constant thing. However, it needs to be a changing process of repentance in our lives. This changing that when, I'm, when I am being repentant, that that transformation happens in our life of changing from, from laughter to mourning and joy to gloom. So these four things that show us how to repent, be wretched, mourn, weep, change. And the last one, one thing that we all must do. Humble ourselves. We need to humble ourselves in repentance. In verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. 
So we need to, and, and this is like the umbrella of this repentance process, right? To be humble. So humble yourselves in repentance. This is because we are placing our desires on worldly passions instead of desiring God. Find fulfillment in God. Now remember, I'm not saying that passions are bad. I'm not saying stuff out there is bad. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is when you start replacing God with that, that's what James is talking about. This is an everyday battle. And, and I love how he concludes it in verse 10. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. God will exalt you. He doesn't want you to stay down. He wants to pick you up. He wants to have a right relationship with you. He wants you for himself because he knows what's best for you. And what's best for you is him. God is jealous for you. Are there things in your life now you need to repent of? What are the things that you're pursuing? What are the things that are replacing God in your life? Is it your time? Is it your money? Is it status? Well, submit. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. Cleanse your actions and purify your heart. And then repent in this way. Be wretched, mourn, weep, and change. And then be humble so that he may exalt you for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning, just looking at these verses here and, and really examining our hearts and lives. Um, Lord, I, I ask that we will, we will step back in our pride, humble ourselves before you, and say, and ask you to show us the things that we are replacing you with. And Lord, may we repent of that. May we repent even the way that James has laid out for, to be wretched and to mourn and to weep and to change. Lord, may we be humble. Thank you for your promise that you say you will exalt us for your glories. Lord, we love you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.